right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back on my solo tip once again to take a little trip down memory lane all the way back to 1992. Yes, that's right. I think most of us were pretty excited when superstars hit the network, so I decided what better way to celebrate than to watch the very first episode and compare it off against that week's WCW Saturday Night. I breeze through superstars, loving every minute, really regretful that I couldn't just click onto the next one because I had other things to watch, and then I went over to WCW Saturday Night, and, well, we'll talk about the main event when we get there, but I instantly regretted this decision. Anywho, for now, it was actually really enjoyable to go back and watch some of this 92 stuff. This is probably not something that I'll do really regularly unless there's a lot of demand for it and I get lots of comments on it because I've got a whole bunch of timelines going on at the moment between Duncan and I looking at TNA and WWE in 2010, Richie and I going through the 80s, Carl and I looking at all the pay-per-views and, of course, my usual going through... 96, or, well, the whole Monday Night War, really. There's a lot of different shows to watch, so this is probably more just a one-off, but a little bit of fun. Anywho, I will stop rambling for now. I watched Superstars first, so we're going to head straight into there and check out what was on offer on the first episode they uploaded, and hopefully if we all keep watching it and talking about it, they'll continue to upload some of that stuff. So let's head over to Vinnie Mac and Mr. Perfect and see what's going on. Mr. Perfect, what's with the bunny? Well, speaking of bunnies, dumb bunnies, that is, how about the ultimate warrior? He's the only man alive dumb enough to stick his nose in Sid Justice's business. Jelly beans? Yeah, jelly beans for brains. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not the kind of Easter egg the warrior on. But by the time Sid Justice gets done with him, we won't be talking about an Easter basket. We'll be talking about a basket case. (laughs) This week on WWF Superstars, joining us will be the tag team champions, Ted DiBiase and IRS. Plus, in the squared circle as well, the Texas Tornado. And joining us will be the reigning intercontinental champion, Rex the Hitman Hart. Plus, the tag team of the Legion of Doom. All that in addition to an interview with... So there you heard that glorious country music guitar intro as well as the introduction from Mr. Perfect and Vince McMahon. Now, Mr. Perfect and Vince were behind a really crappy generic green screen of a crowd. Um, Looked like the crowd was going wild, but clearly not the crowd they were stood in front of. Um, Gotta love yourself some early 90s cheesy TV effects. And the first match when we get underway is Legion of Doom with Paul Ellering taking on the legendary jobber tag team of Barry Horowitz and Dwayne Gill. We see a kid with 
a still camera taking photos, which looks to be about the size of a VCR in the crowd, so that puts you right around where you need to be technology-wise for this one as well. When the match gets underway, both the LOD members hit press slams, and then we get some an inset promo from the Beverly Brothers, basically calling the Legion of Doom sissies, so their new nickname for them is the Legion of Sissies, and if you watch this period of Superstars, you're going to hear that a few times over the next few weeks. We get a big drop kick by Animal, a power slam and a belly-to-belly -belly suplex before they put the finishing touches on with a Doomsday device and your typical early 90s squash, but it was Legion of Doom doing power moves, so I loved it. We then go to a WWF Magazine update from Gene Oakland, and this one is all about the WrestleMania 8 angle, the photos of Ric Flair and Liz, and it shows the real photos, exposing them to be false. Uh, this article was printed in an episode of WWF Magazine that I had as a kid, and it shows the real photos of Randy and Liz side by side with the doctor's doctored photos, sorry, of Flair. And this I actually found to be a really cool angle when I was a kid. Um, it got me hook, line, and sinker, so... Really, really good, and hits you right in the feels going back and watching this now. We have a commercial break, and when we come back, it's time for our next matchup, which will be Chris Horn, legendary name there, yep, uh, I'm thinking the same thing, taking on the Repo Man, and again, this is another one that makes me happy, some really campy early 90s WWF. We get lots of punches and smacking around from Repo, including then a slingshot to the bottom rope, which he does three times, before pretty much just hooking him up for the pin in a 1-2-3, and for a squash match, this was pretty terrible, actually. Um, I love the character of Repo Man, but the, um, the actual uh, offense of his was not the best, certainly nothing compared to his demolition smash days there. We then go back to an event center update with Sean Mooney, um, and we get a pretty generic babyface promo from the big boss man, then a bit of a heel promo from Rick Martel. They do have the really cool WWF 90s backgrounds, though. This is where the green screen did come in handy with the big picture of the model behind him, um, like a little artist rendition of his face. It was quite cool. And then things heat up in a hurry as we get the first ever vignette from Nails. Oh, yeah, now this was some good stuff. You remember Boss Man, the unwritten rule here in the joint, an eye for an eye and a life for a life. But when I get out of here, that rule will still apply to you. Oh yeah, just brilliant. Um, as terrible as a wrestler as he was, the Nails character was amazing. So definitely looking forward to watching some of those vignettes and promos more so than the matches. From there we go to Tom Bennett taking on Brett the Hitman Hart for the Intercontinental title. Brett, as was the style at the time, gives his sunglasses to a girl in the crowd. The match gets started with a shoulder block, a hip toss and a snap mare as we get an inset promo from Sean and Sherry. Uh, nothing really great here. Sean's early heel promos weren't the best, but setting up an angle with Brett. Um, originally, I believe this was supposed to culminate in a ladder match at SummerSlam 92 before they had booked Wembley and decided to go with Brett and the Bulldog instead. Back in the ring, we get a second rope elbow and the sharpshooter as Brett picks up an easy victory defending his Intercontinental title before going to a couple of promos. First up, it's the Mountie with Jimmy Hart, and of course they're looking for all challenges, including Brett and that Intercontinental title. Uh, we go to a Bushwhackers promo, which is, again, nothing to write home about. I've never been a big Bushwhackers fan, um, so nothing great there. And we go out to another commercial before going to a vignette of Kona Crush, Shaka Bra. Um, basically just talking about how when he was a kid he used to crush things. So that's really good to know. We'll keep that in mind as you debut, big man. 
From there, we go to our next match, which is the Berserker taking on Mark Roberts. Um, definitely all squash matches as we go here, but it's still cool to see the big name shine. Uh, Berserker pounds on him for a while, while Fuji cuts an inset promo from earlier in the day against the Undertaker. We get a knee drop, we get lots of huss, huss, huss. And then he ties um, a rope to... Um, ties a rope, ties the ropes, sorry, to the um, Mark Roberts' boots. Um, gives him, a, puts a couple of boots to him and a leg drop. And then a falling slam, a la Mark Henry, picks up the one, two, three, as we go out to a WWF fan club advert. From there, we come to Gene Oakland with a whole bunch of kids with painted faces like the Ultimate Warrior and, of course, the Ultimate Warrior himself. He cuts a promo on Sid, um, talks about saving Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania and how all the little kids um, are the reason why he goes on and why he does what he does. Um, all the kids here with Warrior face paint listening to him ramble. It was awkward as hell. It was brilliant. I wish, I wish, I wish I could find one of these kids and just ask them about that day because it looked amazing. From there, we go to our next match, which is Red Tyler taking on Rick the Model Martell. Lots of whistling from the crowd. So obviously the girls were digging the model character here because I don't think it's for Red Tyler somehow. Um, we get a crossbody from Red for a two count and a sunset flip for a two count, seeming to anger the model here. The model comes back with a slam and a knee drop, followed by a drop kick, a backbreaker, and yes, that's a setup for the Boston Crab as Vince McMahon shills the Coliseum Home Video uh, WrestleMania 8 tape. Our next match is the Texas Tornado taking on Warren Bianchi. No relation to former Manchester City striker Orlando Bianchi, unfortunately. We get an inset Tornado babyface promo, but it's pretty terrible. Um, he's talking about dedicating his life to the WWF, his fans, his family, and God. Um, yeah, okay, no problem at all. Um, big uberface promo, but it didn't really work for me. Um, we get a clothesline, some punches, a clothesline, a slam, and the big discus punch, and that's enough for the Tornado to pick up the relatively easy victory. As we go to another brilliant time capsule, which just made me giggle, it was the WBF, sorry, Body Stars ad, which I will splice in right about now, my funk soul brother. Vince McMahon. Join Cameo and me for a behind-the-scenes look at the superstars and the super bodies on WBF Body Stars. If you're into bodies and what makes them look so good, then you don't want to miss WBF Body Stars. Every Saturday morning on USA, it's about health and fitness, hanging and banging, riding and sliding, food and fun, fashion and passion. WBF Body Stars, you've got to want it. And what are the chances of us ever getting some of that uploaded to the network? Come on, Vince, you loved it. Let us have a look and a laugh at that. Come on. Anywho, after that, we go to another commercial, and it's time for our main event of the evening, Money Incorporated, taking on Jim Powers and Buck Zumhoff. Oh, my God, I cannot escape this pedo for, to save my life. Buck Zumhoff, you absolute... Uh, can't even... Can't even. But, you know, we go from a... Um, convicted pedo to IRS's guilty pleasure of mine, the tax cheat promo, so swings and roundabouts, I guess. Ted works over Jim Powers. Um, Jim Powers does come back with a knee lift and a drop kick, but comes in and gets worked over, as he should, by Money Inc. We get an inset promo from the Natural Disasters, and then we get the write-off and the Million Dollar Dream, so Money Inc. pick up the victory in the main event. 
We go back to Sean Mooney in the event center. We get a generic promo from the Rocket Owen Hart, who is very much learning his craft still here, including a 3-2-1 blast off. So, yeah, some good stuff there. We got a really awful promo from Papa Shango, but I loved it. So what can I say? We have another commercial. And then when we come back, we get an Undertaker promo and a Berserker promo, and they essentially throw down the challenge, and the challenge is accepted for next week. Um, so we're going to see... Um, Undertaker taking on the Berserker, uh, Mr. Fuji and Paul Bearing involved in the promos there, of course. And we also, on the way out, find out we'll see Sergeant Slaughter, Shawn Michaels, Sid, and Ric Flair on the next episode. So looking forward to that one. Some 92 superstars well and truly went down a treat. So hope every one of you have watched this recently. I'm sure a lot of you have and will be able to enjoy going along on this with me. I'm certainly going to be checking out most of these episodes in the weeks to come. But the show wouldn't be the show if we didn't put it up against something, and that was that week's Saturday night uh, from WCW, which we'll get to in a moment. But for now, it is halftime. Peace, God. Peace, God. Now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, Today's merchandise talk, we're going to do something just a little bit different and talk about one of the WWF release CDs. Um, today, we're going to talk about WWF Aggression. Um, I was a really big fan of this, being a hip-hop fan, as you're no doubt aware, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, as well as a long, uh, long-standing wrestling fan. When this album came out, I was pretty pumped. Now, for the large part, a lot of the tracks on it were fairly terrible, but there were a few real gems on there. The most obvious candidate being the Degeneration X mix with Run DMC, The Kings, um, really, really good song. Um, was pretty big fan of a couple of other tracks as well. Uh, the Undertaker Ministry theme by Mino and Dame Grease, um, two, art, um, two artists yeah, that I don't really know anything about, but really, really enjoyed that track. I know it was pretty outdated by 2000, because by the time he did come back, he was the American badass and not the Ministry anymore, but just loved it, um, featuring such great lines as, I sleep in a coffin, um, just really, really good stuff. Um, it wasn't the only one, the um, Snoop Dogg and Dub C Steve Austin theme was pretty decent, the Method Man, um, mix of the rocks know your role was okay and um old dirty bastard and cool keith on mankind's song wasn't too bad either um other than that it was fairly terrible but if you're a wrestling fan and a rap fan this was a dream come true a bunch of really well-known artists collaborating on wwf songs so if you haven't ever heard of it i suggest you definitely go and check out the songs that i mentioned and maybe the album if you are a hip-hop fan and see what you think but there's a few little bits and pieces of gems on there so definitely worth a while and i know when i got it as well i would have been probably about 15 16 when that came out i absolutely played it out in my cd walkman tucked tightly into a south park man bag with padding either side to help the anti-skipping as i ride my my rode my bike around the street so really really continue to date myself here but no it was definitely a um an album that i enjoyed and would recommend checking it out yet.
So it's now time for WCW Saturday Night. This is not something I've watched a lot of. Um, I do like a lot of the characters from early 90s WCW, even though it was pretty cheesy and campy, which I guess is because I liked the WWF at that time too. But the weekly TV show, I wasn't a big fan of. It still had, I guess, their television still had too much of either the studio or the sort of... I don't know what the, the, the vibe I'm looking for here is, but I've never really been fascinated with the idea of going back and watching old WCW TV other than Nitro. So I'm, you know, hopefully going to get some a little bit of a kick out of some of the stuff on here, but we'll see. Um, the show itself opens up with Paul Lee talking about issues within the Dangerous Alliance and says that Larry Zabisco will beat Nikita Koloff tonight. Unfortunately, that's in the main event, which is a two out of three falls, and the idea of seeing Larry Zabisco in three falls immediately made me regret this choice. Um... I don't actually dislike Larry Zabisco, except for when he's in the ring. Um, as a character, he's fine. Um, we then uh, find out that our hostess for the night is Missy Hyatt, which basically equates to introducing one or two things because we throw to the actual host of the show, which is JR and Dusty Rhodes in what appears to be a early 90s TV dating show studio. It's really cool, actually. They're set on a lounge uh, with a TV playing in between them. Really old 90s TV. It's, it's pretty good. Um, we get a Nikita Koloff promo for the two out of three falls match, and then we go to a commercial. When we come back, JR and Dusty throw to our first match of the show. It's Scotty Flamingo out with JT Southern taking on Johnny Rich. Uh, this is essentially... Um, Scotty Flamingo is pretty much Raven in a Macho Man outfit, so that sort of helps you get an idea of what's going on here. He's wearing pink bike shorts uh, when he does get ready for his match. When the match gets started, uh, he hits a nice hip toss and some chain wrestling. Uh, before Johnny Rich comes back with a hip toss, we get a drop toe hold by Flamingo as JR and Dusty Rhodes talk about the... Um, Scotty Flamingo wanting to become the light heavyweight champion, so that was a thing around here before the cruiserweight championship came later on. Uh, they also talk about getting free tickets to the TV taping at Center Stage. Now, that's one thing you'd never hear on WWF television, them advertising free tickets because they did not want to give the appearance that it wasn't worth paying for. We get an eye rake and a snap mare and an elbow from Scotty, who then goes onto the leg. Uh, we get a 10 punch from Johnny Rich before Flamingo hits an inverted atomic drop. Rich comes back with a drop kick uh, before Flamingo hits a knee drop and a big pile driver for the 1 2 3. And from there, we go and take a look at Sting winning the world title from Lex at Super Brawl 2. Um, and they bring Sting out for a chat. Um, he chats about winning the title and his ongoing issue with Vader and talks about the his eagerness to take on some Japanese opponents as well as we go out to a commercial break. Sting, I actually like as a promo in his surfer, you know, hyped-up character, but bringing him out to sit on a lounge and chat to JR and Dusty just seems so out of character for him. It's a bit like when I hear about things like the Ultimate Warrior being on Arsenio Hall and I can't think of two more opposite things going together than that. Um, this was a much smaller scale version of that. From there, we go to a commercial, and when we come back, it is time for Vinny Vegas. So, yeah, the hits keep on rolling, taking on Chris Sullivan. They lock up, and Vinny Vegas just tosses him off. I'm sorry, poor choice of words. Throws him off. Um, then hits a big shoulder and throws him out the ring. Um, he then lifts him up and hits him with a big clothesline, and then picks him up over his shoulder and drops him down for snake eyes for the one, two, three in a very, very quick squash. We do go to something I did like about WCW TV from here, and it is a rundown of the top 10 contenders. So they are at this point in time, April 4th, 1992, Terry Taylor at number 10, Cactus Jack, Barry Windham, Ron Simmons, 
Larry Zabisco, and rounding out the top five, Dustin Rhodes, stunning Steve Austin, Vader, Ricky Steamboat, and the United States champion, Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, JR and Dusty talk about some tag teams as well as we throw into our next match, which is Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton out with Paulie, uh, the tag team champions, taking on Joe Cruz and Terry Bronson. We get a big bill by Bobby Eaton to start off, and then Arn Anderson begins to work over the arm. Um, we hit a hip toss from Bronson before Bobby Eaton comes back with a backbreaker and the heels do some double teaming. We get a great close-up of a big right hand from Bobby Eaton in the corner. It just looked really vicious. And we then pan back and see we've got that classic blue and yellow WCW ring, which I also really liked. Um, they've got the tag belts in Paul, uh, Paulie's hands as well, and I like them even more. They are a beautiful set of belts. Bobby Eaton slightly botches a hip toss. Um... And we're told this is the third WCW Saturday night under the new format. Um, I'm guessing it's the official change and they've taken it away, taken away the NWA here. Um, but that is what it is. Arn goes over the arm a bit more and then hits a slam before Bobby Eaton hits a top rope leg for the one, two, three as we go to our next commercial break. When we come back, the hosts throw to Eric Bishop for a WCW magazine update. Oh my, how his station will improve very, very shortly. Back everyone to WCW Saturday night. Just a moment, we'll be going to Eric Bischoff with WCW Magazine with more news about Russell War. Last week, Dream, we heard about the War Games. The War Games, my most favorite game of all to be played. The most violent uh, confrontation between members of, of bad guys and good guys and evil men and, and good women and everything. I mean, this is a steel cage with a top on it, two rings, the War Games, Russell War coming at you. Eric Bischoff going to tell us all about it. Let's go to Eric Bischoff in this week's WCW Magazine. Thanks, Jim. And this is the WCW Magazine for April 18, 1992. Our lead story concerns an injury to WCW World Heavyweight Champion Sting. Now, details are still coming in at this time. We do know that Sting suffered a rib injury during a match with Van Vader. We do not know the extent of the injuries or whether or not these injuries will prevent Sting from participating in war games. We will have an in-depth report next week on Sting's injuries on WCW Saturday night. Another key matchup has been announced for Russell War 92 coming your way May 17th exclusively on pay-per-view. The Steiner brothers will face the Japanese team of Tatsumi Fujinami and Izuka. Now the winners of this exciting matchup will go on to Tokyo later in the year for a shot at the IWGP Tag Team Championships. Let's catch up now with the former IWGP Tag Team Champions themselves, Rick and Scott Steiner. Fujinami, Izuka. You see, what you guys got to wonder is why Japan send you over here? Are you stepping stones? You see, Hase and Muda are the Japanese Tag Team Champions. What you guys are, are just the front. You see, right now, it's USA. Japan isn't too well liked over here. So when you two come over here, don't think you're getting the best of respect. Don't think we're going to roll out the red carpet because it comes on May 17th. Me and my brother are going to prove and show you how tough we are, USA. Fujinami, we got a lot of respect for you, but we're going for the Japanese tag team titles and we're going to beat you guys. The Steiner brothers, no doubt, looking forward to an opportunity to reclaim the IWGP tag team titles. 
In other Russell War news, the light heavyweight division continues to electrify fans around the world, and Russell War 92 will see even more of the high voltage excitement they've come to expect when WCW light heavyweight champion Flying Brian Pillman meets his friend and former tag team partner, the Z-Man. On paper, this is a surprising match for the fans of WCW because Flying Brian is putting his world title up against his close friend and former tag team partner, Tom the Z-Man Zinc. But what will come as no surprise is the action and excitement this match is going to generate because it's going to be the same brand of intensity that Z-Man and Flying Brian were known for as a tag team. So Tom, let's step inside the square circle and let the best man win. Make your plans now to be a part of Wrestle War 92 live exclusively on pay-per-view. Well, the war between Ricky Steamboat and ravishing Rick Rude is reaching the breaking point in more ways than one. Ricky Steamboat suffered a broken nose and a shattered cheekbone recently at the hands of United States Heavyweight Champion Ravishing Rick Rude. And for Ricky Steamboat, this battle is for more than the United States title. Now it's personal. In everybody's life, everybody has to deal with pain and suffering and anguish. But what you've done to me, Rick Rude, you take a look at this mug now. Has it made you happy? The suffering that my family has had to go through day in and day out, especially my four-year-old son. Every time I get up in the morning and take a look at this face, every single time I look at me, I look at you. You might have broken my nose, but you have not broken the dragon spirit. Well, no doubt, fans are hoping to see the dragon put an end to this battle before someone is hurt permanently. Well, last week we filed a report on the surprising, if not misguided, show of support for Diamond Dallas Page. Now, Jim Ross caught up with Page before tonight's broadcast of WCW Saturday Night, and he filed this report. Well, thanks very much, Eric. And yes, I have caught up with Diamond Dallas Page, a man that's found himself an executive vice president of WCWK, Allen Fry's doghouse, because you've been making unauthorized remarks about WCW policy. Now, I don't want to get yourself in any more trouble, but what is the status of this situation? Well, you know, JR, the way I see it, Diamond Dallas Page is very misunderstood right now. I don't want to talk about WCW policy. I wouldn't dream of it. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't dream of talking about the NWA World Tag Team Tournament that's going to be announced May 2nd right here on WCW. Shouldn't have said that. Oh, man. Speaking about tag teams, which we're not, Terry Bam Bam Gordy and Dr. Death Steve Williams will be in that tournament. This is a serious tournament, JR. Obviously, Eric, oh, nothing has changed as far as Diamond Dallas Page is concerned. Back to you. The magazine segment carries on a little bit longer, but I thought I'd cut it there before I put everyone to sleep with some of the throwbacks and forwards between the promos. Uh, the only other noteworthy thing is there's a fan question sent into Sting, and they ask who we'd like to defend the title against, and he gives a non-answer and says, anyone. Um, one of the things I did want to pick out about that segment that you just listened to with all the promos and the magazine update is the Steiner's... Um, here we go, actually. Now I'm going to make it even worse. I'm going to say disrespecting their opponents, and I've already forgotten what they were called. Um, but by saying they're not the tag team champions, but they're not the WCW tag champions either. So maybe the Japanese guy should be disrespecting the Steiners, although I feel stupid for bringing this up now. A um, couple of corrections while I'm on the, the moment of feeling stupid is I said before this was the um, April 4th episode of Saturday Night, and it wasn't. It's the April 18th episode, and I realize I never actually introduced it the start of the show when Superstars was from either, and that was also April 18. So, um, having an absolute nightmare on this one. I just jumped straight in and gave you no information whatsoever. But if you do want to watch these episodes, 
both April 18, Saturday night, and Superstars. From there, we go to a very young Marcus Bagwell taking on Tom's, uh, sorry, teaming up with Tom Zink to take on Randy Starr and Sergeant Buddy Parker. And we've got some beautiful mullets all around here. Um, we get a shoulder block from Bagwell to start with an arm drag, followed by a hip toss and a double drop kick for a two. Um, Bagwell is looking like the illegitimate love child of Strike Force at this point in time. It's great. We get a head scissors and a clothesline, followed by hip toss and a missile drop kick for the three for the faces. We go to a commercial, and then Dusty and JR are now at ringside to chat about the two out of three falls match. Um, it's not live, so it is interesting watching them flick from the studio to ringside. Um, it's just one of the quirks of early 90s wrestling. And then we start our main event, the two out of three falls match between Larry the Cruncher Zabisco and Nikita Koloff. Um, and of course, keeping in mind, we've been talking about some issues with the Dangerous Alliance, but Paulie has got full faith in Zabisco, so much so that he sends him out with Medusa and doesn't come to ringside himself. And of course, the I would be remiss not to mention that the match gets started with Larry Zabisco stalling. Then he stalls some more, and then we get a headlock from Nikita. A backslide for a two, and another headlock, and then an abdominal stretch from Zabisco before Nikita hits a suplex for the first real move of the match and locks on another headlock to put me back to sleep. We get another headlock, and then Larry Zabisco manages to hide a low blow from the referee, hits a slam for a two, and a pile driver for a two, but Nikita valiantly fights back and hits an inside cradle for the one, two, three, and picks up the first fall as we go to commercial break. When we come back, Heyman is out and furious, um, having some pretty robust discussion on the floor with Medusa. Um, Zabisco hits a slam on the floor, and they brawl along the outside. We get a double clothesline, and then Zabisco pounds away on Nikita, who is refusing to quit playing the babyface in peril here. We get a backbreaker for a two and a chin lock from Zabisco before Nikita locks on a sleeper. Zabisco gets out, but Nikita hits a slam and the Russian sickle for the one, two, three, picking up the victory in two straight falls as we go out to a commercial break. When we come back, Missy Hyatt, the hostess, yes, the person we saw at the start and haven't seen again since, is spying on Paulie, telling off Larry Zabisco in the background before they catch her and get rid of her. We get told next week we'll see Steve Austin taking on Barry Windham for the TV title, and they each cut a promo to help us sign out the show. Getting beat five or 55 to nothing. Larry Zabisco got some problems. But do the Dangerous Alliance have problems now with Larry Zabisco? They better not have any problems here next week because stunning Steve Austin will be here next week to defend the television championship of the world. Two out of three falls against Barry Windham. Here are comments from each athlete. Stunning Steve Austin next week right here on WCW Saturday night. I am going to prove to you in a two out of three fall match that the World Television Championship is on the wrong person and should be around my waist. I'm going to waltz into the ring and take your title. Barry Wendell next week on WCW Saturday Night. I'm going to give you another chance to be the World Television Champion, and I'm going to prove to the world that stunning Steve Austin is the best World Television Champion of all time. Dream, that's going to be a tremendous matchup. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Stunning Steve Austin, Barry Windham, two out of three falls for the world's heavyweight title. It's been a long time since Barry Windham has stepped forward to challenge for a major title, not since the injury. I know this is going to be a big one, and I know next week, WCW Saturday night, you got one of my main men here with the Atlanta Falcons coming here. You better believe it, next week our guest co-host will be Big Bill Frederick, number 79 of the Atlanta Falcons. Don't forget to join us for the main event tomorrow, Dream. Thank you very much for being with us. Fans will 
So there you have it. We're going to have another two out of three falls next week, but at least this time it's going to be Barry Windham and Steve Austin, so that one should be slightly more interesting than Zabisco and Nikita. JR and Dusty, as you heard there, sign is out, and that will do it for WCW Saturday Night, so it's time for us to pick ourselves a winner. So in a bit of a twist, I actually went with WCW for production value this week. I didn't love the green screen effect of the announcers in WWF and much preferred the studio um, kind of lounge, um, almost like a um, like a talk show environment of JR and Dusty. So that definitely put it over the edge for me there. As far as characters go, I went with the WWF because they managed to get The Undertaker, Bret Hart, The Ultimate Warrior and a few others on the show, whereas WCW really did lack in star power on this one. The crowd, I thought WCW were the hotter crowd, even though WWF was much bigger. Um, WCW was a small studio environment, but they were into what they were seeing, and it definitely showed on TV. As far as storylines, I thought the WWF did a better job. Um, The storyline of the Dangerous Alliance breaking up was okay in WCW, um, but other than that, there wasn't really a lot of storyline advancement. And over in the WWF, we got that wicked Undertaker Berserker set up for next week, (laughs) as well as some more storyline pushes um, with different things in the promos. Wasn't much in it, but I went with the Fed barely. Match quality was a tough one because... I guess the best, better wrestling was in WCW, um, so they're going to have to take the gong. But I enjoyed the WWF squashes more than I enjoyed the two big names of WCW. That being said, Arn and Bobby put on a wrestling clinic, and we did see a couple of other names along the way in squashes. So WCW just barely gets the nod and the win. Um, a bit of a weird one in that I definitely enjoyed watching Superstars better, but in the categories, I've got to give it to WCW. So... Um, that doesn't happen too often, but this is one for the record books. WCW picks up the win despite me enjoying the other show more. I guess this is something I thought may happen when I started the show being a WWF loyalist, but it hasn't come up too often, so there you are. That will do it for me today. Lots of more shows coming up with um, various people and solo in the next few weeks, but thought I'd get this one out to give everyone something to listen to. Uh, In the meantime, if you've got any requests for shows that you would like to hear, please do drop me a message on Twitter. Um, and any suggestions for the show or feedback also do the same. Um, next up should be myself and Richie in a very, very big 87 episode. So we look at various wrestling from 1987 and then there'll be more to come with everybody else in the near future. Uh, if you've got anyone else that you think you'd like to hear appear on the show as well, definitely let me know. I'm always on the lookout for fresh faces to jump on, even though I've got a really good revolving cast of characters coming on at the moment. Thank you all for listening once again, and I'll talk to you all very, very soon. I'm a inch away from the crown and my back.